I bring you greetings from the faculty, staff, and students of Westminster Seminary. If you haven't been to the seminary campus in the last two years, I would encourage you to visit. There's been the construction of a number of apartment buildings. Uh, Pete Serra, who's sitting in the third row here, is responsible for having constructed those, and we're grateful for all his work. But please do come. Make, take advantage of the bookstore, and please uh, uh, get to know the seminary in its present form. I hope you have a chance to visit with a number of the uh, visitors today. There's a number of students and uh, faculty and staff that are with us uh, as well today. I invite you to turn in God's inspired word to Romans chapter 1. We'll be considering Romans chapter 1 together, verse 16. But before we do so, I'd like to remark at what a remarkable gift God has given you in this man, this minister, Adam Smith, today. I meet a lot of seminarians, but few strike me as uh, so gifted for pastoral work as Adam Smith. It is true that he was my student, and so I know that he is sharp. That's no surprise to you. I know that he's a hard worker. That's no surprise uh, as well. He is extraordinarily organized. He is a great administrator, but you don't need, uh, uh, you don't need someone to be a, minister, uh, 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 a pastor to, to function as an administrator for you. But in my mind, Adam has particular gifts that inspire trust in him as a pastor. On numerous occasions, I would mention some anxiety on my mind to him for prayer. And with most people, that's the end of it. Whereas with Adam, three, four weeks later, he would ask me, how's it going? With how's that coming along? He just, he's someone that uh, really has the shepherd's heart, someone who really cares. And it's, uh, that's very obvious. And if I were and when I'll be in the hospital facing death, Adam Smith, it would be a wonder and a blessing to me if Adam Smith were to come and to visit me. Not just because he's a good man, but because of what he could tell me, what I would hear from him. He can share with me the gospel because he knows the gospel and the Lord of the gospel. In my painful last confusing moments of life, he would share with me what I most need to hear, and that is the gospel. So from this day forth, he will be sharing with you, the members of this congregation, from this pulpit and in your living rooms, that gospel message. And it is an incredible blessing that he and uh, Pastor Nick are here to minister that message to you. Let us hear God's word then from Romans chapter 1, and I invite you to stand. Our focus will be on verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, but I'd like for us to begin reading in verse 1. I'll read from verse 1 through verse 17. This is the word of our God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we 
have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And now our text for today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's join our hearts together and ask his blessing in prayer. Almighty Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the the sealing of our brother through ordination to the work of the holy ministry. And now as we consider the center of that ministry, the message itself, we ask that you would help us in all our weakness, that you would give us ears to hear, that you give me a mouth to speak, Lord, that you would guide our thoughts and that we might walk away assured, comforted, blessed, guided. Oh, Lord, inspire, we pray. We ask for Jesus' sake, in all our weakness. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, well loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the minister of Westminster Chapel in London, said about these verses, 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1, There are no two verses of greater importance in the whole of Scripture than the two verses which we are now considering. James Boyce, the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, said that these verses are the most important in the letter and perhaps in all literature. They are the theme of this epistle and the essence of Christianity. They are the heart of biblical religion. The reason this is so is that they tell how a man or woman may become right with God. We've been considering uh, since 2017, the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, Luther was transformed by these verses. He spoke about this passage and said, This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. Calvin said about uh, this letter, he said, if we've gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to the most profound treasures of Scripture. Any time you spend in this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans is time very well invested. 
Of course, Paul wrote all his letters to particular churches in particular circumstances, and this is no exception. He's writing to prepare his way for his visit to Rome, and as we see from the end of the book, for example, in 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, 24, he wants to go to Spain, and he, he's on his way through Rome uh, to Spain, and this is his preparation. So he's presenting to the Roman Christians the content of his teaching, and that is the gospel. He says it in verse 1, that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. In verse 9, he said he serves God with his spirit in the gospel of his son. And in verse 15, he's eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This word gospel, or evangelion in Greek, which means good announcement, like euphony, euphangelion is the good announcement. This uh, expression is particularly Pauline of some, 60, uh, some, some 76 times uh, that this word is used in the New Testament. 60 of them are from Paul. It's like a one-word summary of everything that he had to say. But so uh, with, with this in mind, we come now to verse 16, and we're sh- a little bit surprised. He says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's not embarrassed of the gospel. Does God, does Paul on uh, other occasions seem shy about the gospel? Is he hesitant to share it? Is he ashamed of it? It seems strange that he would make, that he would speak in such a way. He's not reluctant to speak of the gospel, is he? Then why does he speak this way? Big topic. Obviously, this fits somehow with what he's trying to do in the whole letter as we look at the end of the book, uh, chapter 16, verse 17. There's false teaching, it seems, that's beginning to spread in uh, the Roman church. Uh, One person made uh, uh, appreciative comments about our Presbyterian uh, system of government that that guarantees a certain doctrinal consistency. We need that in the 21st century. We tend to drift, all of us, knowing our hearts. It was the same in the first century. There was a drift going on, and there was a need to hold Uh, to that gospel. So perhaps there were Roman Christians who were uh, attempted to be ashamed of the gospel and to turn away from the Christian faith. Timothy was tempted to downplay the gospel. He wouldn't have, uh, Paul would not have written to him as he did in 2 Timothy 1.8. When he tells him, he says, Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul gives credit to his other fellow worker, Onesimus, when he says to him in 2 Timothy 1.16 that he was, quote, not ashamed, same word, of my chains when the apostle was in Rome. To be honest, all of us at one level or another, uh, we are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, to be hesitant to speak of it. And that is because, as you've experienced, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, there is a rejection by the world if you hold to it, if you hold it up. The gospel seems like something bizarre, something despicable in the eyes of uh, uh, unbelievers. We preach Christ, Paul says, Christ crucified 1 Corinthians 1.23, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. This is a very strange 
strange thing that we're presenting to people. But this, of course, is nothing new. That 4th century preacher in Constantine, in Constantinople, Chrysostom, John Chrysostom, said this about uh, the contrast between what the Roman uh, unbelievers were expecting and what Roman Christians were presenting to them. He said, the Romans were most anxious about the things of the world because of their riches, their empire, their victories, and they thought that their emperors were equal to the gods. While they were so puffed up, Paul was going to preach Jesus, the carpenter's son, who was brought up and despised Judea in the house of a lower-class woman who had no bodyguards, who was not surrounded by wealth, but who died as a criminal among thieves and endured many other inglorious and shameful afflictions. As you identify publicly as a Christian, as you identify publicly with the gospel, at some level, will you be despised, misunderstood, and rejected? And the answer is, absolutely. All of us will be put to shame at some level because of the gospel. We will, we will experience alienation. We will experience rejection and resistance as we stand up for Christ at some, at some level. It will differ from, uh, for various of us. It differs from culture to culture and from age to age, but at some fundamental uh, level, uh, that, that will be the case. And so what is my message to you today? Is my message to you, look inside yourself and find the strength to just stand up for the gospel? Is that what I'm going to tell you? No, I'm not going to tell you that. That's not the message. It's not look inside yourself for resources of strength. Be brave. But Paul, rather here in verse 16, is pointing us outside. He's pointing us to objective, exterior, uh, uh, solid reasons why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. He says very explicitly here, and this is what I'd like for us to focus on for the time that we have together, and that is, it is th- why should we not be ashamed? Because it is, take a look at verse 16, the power of God. And it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul wants to hold up the gospel to show how extraordinary it is, how beautiful it is how fascinating and attractive it is so that we might be drawn into it. Because the more, the more taken with the gospel we are, the more proud of the gospel we will be. And I think that that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I am proud of the gospel. Matter of fact, the Moffat version translates it exactly this way. I am proud of the gospel. Now, Paul is a very skilled Greek uh, orator, and if you'll allow me, he, he uses, uh, his, his writing is very, uh, very exalted at times, very powerful, and if you'll allow me a nerdy comment, this is a, a particular literary form. It's called the litotes, and a litotes is when you make a uh, positive assertion by denying the contrary negative assertion. Over in Acts 21, Uh, verse 39, he says something similar. He says, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen, and then note this, he says, of no ordinary ordinary city. What does that mean? (laughs) No ordinary city. In other words, two negatives make a positive. A city, I am a citizen of an important city. 
And the same is happening here. He gives two negatives. I'm not ashamed, and that makes a positive. In other words, the gospel is the only thing that I am going to boast in. That's how proud of it I am. That's how central it is. He says the same thing almost in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says, Far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be his boast. And I hope that you as individual Christians, that you as families, that you as a congregation, as you go through this year, as you enter into a new stage of your, your, your formal ministry together, having another minister added to your ranks, that this will be the central thing for you, to boast, to delight, to be f- taken up with the gospel. It's a glorious, wonderful thing. And so I, I would like for you to consider with me briefly these, uh, these two points. First, that the gospel is the power of God. That'll be our first consideration. And then that that power of the gospel results, secondly, in salvation for everyone who believes. So first we'll consider the power of God and then salvation for everyone who believes. I thank you for your patience this morning. Uh, Before I was a minister in the uh, Presbyterian Church in America, I was a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And I've been in installation services that have run three hours. So if we go an hour and a half or so, uh, uh, that's not too bad. I, I, hope, you'll, I hope you'll find. Um, and it, it, is, it is a special uh, privilege, though it's a bit, it takes a little extra a- a- attention to sit through th- uh, 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 three little sermons, uh, or two little sermons and a, pro- and a proper sermon. So I'd like you to consider this, this first part of verse 16 Uh, with me, please, that the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is not first and foremost about what you do. It's not focused on us or our performance. It's focused on who God is and what he's done, particularly what he's done through Christ. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 1 here, Paul starts in that direction. He's talking about God promising the coming of a rescuer. And then look at verse 3. That God has taken, through, it's through one of the descendants of uh, David that this promise has come to fulfillment. He's going to resurrect one of David's descendants to sit on his throne forever. And that's what we see in verse 4. Through the resurrection, Jesus Christ is uh, established and is publicly pro- proclaimed as the ruling son of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has thus been given to him. And we know from of the book of Acts, that he sends his spirit uh, 50 days after his ascension on uh, his church, and the church has been expanding to the ends of the earth since that day. And here we are, at the, literally at the end of the earth, from a, a Palestinian point of view, uh, uh, with uh, celebrating uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you look uh, carefully at this text... What is, the, what is the glory of the Christian teaching? What is, the, what is the, uh, uh, the central point and also the point of offense? And it is, that is that it's focused on Christ. The gospel is God's power focused on what he's done in Christ. And this is our glory as believers and the offense uh, for those who are uh, unbelievers. The apostle says something similar in 2 Corinthians 5 beginning in 17. Listen to the focus 
of Paul's message here. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry that uh, Brother Adam is participating in, in a formal way now. Paul continues, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the heartbeat of uh, the Apostle Paul. And this is the offense. The Christian message is not just some kind of generalized message about, oh yes, there's a God, now go and live a good life. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the message that I heard when I was a kid, growing up in a very, very liberal, super liberal uh, church. Right? God loves you, go and be nice to people. Right? No. There's, it's, it's this focus on Christ. Who is this Christ? What has God done for us in Christ? Right? That's an offense to the eyes of an unbelieving world. But for Paul... The gospel is the power of God, not just because of what we see in Christ's incarnation and the perfect life he lived, in his awesome teaching, in his substitutionary death, in his powerful resurrection from, uh, from the grave, in his ascension to heaven, is seating at the right hand of God, ruling all things, putting th- everyone into submission to himself and coming again at the end of the age to take uh, the world for himself and to remake a new heavens and new earth. It's not just the power of God in Christ. But strangely enough, the gospel is the power of God, even in its form of coming to us. This is strange. Through a weak means, God does a powerful thing. Through the preaching of the message, God does a powerful thing. This is a very strange thing. Paul says about his preaching in Romans 16, verse 25, he, said, he speaks about him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus. This is a very strange thing. Paul, what is preaching? Preaching involves speaking human words. It's it's talk, and that is the power of God? Yes, somehow it is. Somehow it is. Paul says that God that it's the spirit of God it's the spirit of God who uses the message of Christ to work in our minds and hearts to regenerate us and to take us from death to life to take away our hearts of stone and to give us living responsive believing hearts faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ that preached message which comes to us the spirit using us to work faith in us Now, this is a very odd thing, right? But that's what Paul says again and again. He says, In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than all. He's preaching Christ. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom 
of God. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and following. The older I get, the more I love that strange prophecy of Ezekiel 37, that valley of dry bones. The more I live, the more I see human weakness, impotence, confusion, inability, inconsistency. And that's Ezekiel 37. What is Ezekiel 37? It's a, it's a vision of death. Just bones. But what happens? When the preacher speaks... When that simple word comes out of the mouth, what happens? God, by His Spirit, comes and uses that word and knits together those bones and resurrects an entire powerful army. That is the power of preaching Christ and His gospel. That's what God does. By the power of His Spirit, He raises a people to new life. And how many hundreds of millions of Christians are there in the world today? It's a powerful thing. This is the the work of God through this strange, simple, weak message. Brothers and sisters, God has given you today a preacher of the gospel. What a treasure. You have programs in this church. You have activities of all sorts. These are good things. But what's the central thing? The central thing is the preaching of this message. And that is what God has given you today. A means of bringing you that message. What a glorious thing this is. And this is, this is the, something that we celebrate and we support and we, uh, we, we get behind. And let me just say very briefly in passing that because this is true, this is the reason why you, particularly you ministers, established ministers, new ministers, why all of you who teach and preach the gospel, even as we share the gospel with our children at home, that we should not be discouraged and we should never lose heart. Right? We may be frustrated, but it is not ultimately our work. It is God's work. I cannot convert my child. I cannot convert anyone, right? But it's, it's the Lord who uses our witness to do his work and to advance, uh, uh, to, to do a spiritual work in the lives of our people. Briefly, let me draw your attention to the next phrase then of uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, first, because it's the power of God, And then he says, secondly, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation for everyone who believes. (coughs) This word here for belief, and and in, in, in 17 when he talks about faith, this is the same word fundamentally. Uh, It's the same expression. Faith, believe, it's the same thing. He says then, He goes on, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is the focus. 
he mentions this again and again. And why is that? Why is that? We don't have time to get into uh, verse 17 so much. But why does Paul, right and left, emphasize faith? He emphasizes faith so much because he is so taken away with, with, with the fact that the gospel is all about what God does, not what we do. It's all about grace. If I can use the old terms. The reason that, that, that Paul's message is all sola fides, sola fide, it's all about faith, by faith, is because underneath it's all sola gratia. It's all by grace alone. They go together. Right? Grace is the foundation. Faith is the means of receiving the, gra- uh, the, 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 the grace. It's the, it's the empty hand. Paul emphasizes uh, this in many places. For example, if you turn over to chapter 3, verse 23, he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that is, put right with God. How? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, focusing on the work of Christ there, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. This was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Right? It's all about faith. All about faith. Brothers and sisters, here in Southern California, the world has come to us. And we can boil down all human spiritualities, all human religions, down to certain basic principles. Right? And it seems to me that all have this thread in common. Oh, you, they, they, they depend uh, on, depending on the worldview, depends on what their view of what's wrong with the world and what the solution is. But I can tell you this much, it comes down to you. It comes down to you. What you must eat, what you must do or not do, what you must support, what you must not support, whatever that, that have to be. You need to do this to bring the, or we need to do this to bring the world back into balance. There's a, a whole variety, of, of course. There's hundreds of different ways that that's uh, set forth, whether in Islam or whether in uh, our kind of Southern California uh, whole foods spirituality. I like whole foods. I wish I could shop there uh, more regularly. I, I don't. But we kind of take a little of this and take a little of that. That's kind of our California uh, new age spirituality, right? But it's, it's ultimately about you. You. What you do. It must be your achievement. And friends, at some level, this is a system of works. This is a system about you, about human uh, accomplishments. And this is ultimately, a, this is not good news. This is oppressive, right? The apostle is telling us here in Romans chapter 1 that this, that, that, that the shalom that we need, what puts things right, is not possible for us to achieve. Things are more messed up than we can fix. What a realistic view of the world that is, right? I'm more messed up than I can fix, starting with myself. Right? We cannot live, as soon as you try to get serious about living properly, then you see how far short you fall. You can't live up to your own standards, let alone God's standards, right? 
we are so weak. We are so inconsistent, right? So it doesn't do us any good to say, do this, that, and the other, because we can't rescue ourselves. The good news, according to the Apostle Paul, is what? That God has done it. That God has done what we couldn't do for ourselves, right? And we receive it as a gift. Faith is nothing. Faith is not a work. Faith is the hand of the prisoner which reaches out through the bars to receive the key that needs to go into the lock to open the door. Faith is nothing. Faith is the hand of the senior in high school at about this time, maybe next month, who receives that coveted letter and opens it up and it says, you have a full-ride scholarship. It's just the hand that opens the letter, that's all. It's receiving what someone else has done. It's a means of, of receiving a blessing, right? We often come to the Lord's Supper. Faith is the mouth that feeds on Christ who's offered to us in the Supper. Have you received those, those, uh, those advertisements in the mail that have these pictures of these really beautiful houses that are, is it the McDonald's house? I forget what it goes for, but it's, it's these awesome houses and you can win it. Have you seen these things? These are like, these are like $4 million beautiful uh, coastal houses. Have you seen that? Four million, wouldn't that be nice? Or how about a $40 million house? Right? Friends, if, if I were to offer you a $40 million house, that's nothing compared to the glory that's offered to you, that the, the eternal glory to be completely remade, to be in the very presence of God, unashamed, completely accepted, embraced, comforted. All your tears, all your anxieties wiped away and gone. All your shame and guilt gone permanently. And to be taken up in glory and enjoyment and beautiful fellowship with other people and with God himself forever and ever without even the possibility of that being lost. What could you pay for that? As a gift? This is Paul's message. This is beautiful, right? This is what Paul is offering. This is what Isaiah was offering as he preached the gospel in chapter 55, verse 1. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. $50 million without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good, delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. This is the Christian message. It's el angelion, evangel, good announcement. It's good announcement that this is what God has done for you as a gift to you. And this is what we need to hear. This is our message for our children. What we're saying to our children is not, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. I understand parenting involves that, right? But that's not fundamentally what we're offering to our children. No, we're trying and we're praying and we're struggling 
to pull back the curtain and to show the glory that's there, right? It's to show Christ in all his beauty. How do we advance as individual Christians? How will you advance as a congregation? It's by seeing the glory of the gospel more and more clearly and having your hearts run out of you, run away after Christ, being fascinated and taken up with him. That's what helps you grow as a Christian. How are you going to be bold as a Christian? Not by digging up some bravery in yourself. It's by looking and seeing how attractive Christ is, how precious he is. Compared to him, what is anything else? It's as you see him in his value, his beauty, that you are, 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 are taken up with him and that you're proud to share him with others, right? Our friends, people around us, for one way or another, they are so burdened. They're so crushed with this, that, and the other. They're so chasing after this and chasing after that and wanting this and wanting that and burdened with this and burdened with that, right? And Christianity is not one more, go do this. It's not that at all. It's offering people this wonderful invitation. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is faith? It's embracing the offer. That's what, that's what faith is. It's just believing, resting on Christ. This wonderful offer, right? That he is sufficient. That he is the one who reconciles you to God. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the focus of your church. This is the work of this new minister that you've chosen for yourself in God's providence, that God has prepared for you today. Two ministers now, three ministers. You're rich. This is the focus of your life together. This is why you can start to be honest with each other, as you, I trust you already are. You admit that your lives are, you're, you don't have it all together. Right? You can be frank with each other about the sins and the weaknesses in your life because what? It's all about Christ underneath, not what you achieve in your perfection, but about Him, what He's achieved and His perfection. We've considered and we've seen that the gospel is the power of God and it's for the salvation of everyone who believes. What a glorious message. How can we end? We, can, we have to end with a doxology. And this is how Paul closes, and I'll close. As he says in Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray.